Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Episode 117, recorded on May 12th, 2021. Justin's out, Peter's distracted by his parents, Jonathan is just British, and Ryan is probably tipsy. But we had one job, and we're recording. Yes. <laughs> How's it going? We did it. Well, we're doing we're it. I guess we haven't we're done it We're doing it. Yet. Yeah, we'll see, what, <laughs> we'll see what we actually have done. Yeah. We, sh- we should have committed Justin to some kind of wager that we were not going to record, or we were going to record. That would have been smart. That would have been mm-hmm. wise. Next time. Yeah. Next time. Yeah. All right. Well, we have a bunch of stuff to go through today, starting with Jedi again. <laughs> Pentagon weighs ending Jedi cloud projects amid Amazon court fight. So after last week's loss in the court, the topic of dropping Jedi came up again. Deputy Defense Secretary Kathleen Hicks said the department would review the project. We're going to have to assess where we are with regard to the ongoing litigation around Jedi and determine what the best path forward is for the departments, Ms. Hicks said. Representative Steve Womack called on the Pentagon last week to start fresh with a new contract bidding process that would enable best-in-class capability by prioritizing the ongoing competition that the cloud environment can promote. I kind of wonder who he's got shares in. Um, <laughs> but uh, overall, his, his sentiment was that American taxpayers deserve a transparent and accountable procurement process. I think it's, it's fair, right? I think that's totally fair. All I could think of when I was reading this was... Uh that it reminded me of when I was a kid and my brother and I would fight over a toy and then my parents would just take it away from both of us and be like, if you can't play nice, nobody gets it. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably the only path forward, actually. Like, no one gets it. Just exclude it. Maybe maybe de facto they land in Oracle just because, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Out of spite. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it'd be pretty good. Yeah. All right, moving on to the main show. AWS announces a price reduction for Amazon Managed Service for Prometheus. Amazon is dropping the price of metric samples ingested by up to 84% for the Amazon Managed Service for Prometheus. AMP is a fully managed Prometheus compatible monitoring service that makes it easy to monitor containerized applications at scale. With AMP, you only pay for what you use based on metric samples ingested, metrics and metric samples stored and query execution time. AWS is reducing the current price of metric samples ingested depending on volume. The new pricing is as follows. 90 cents per 10 million samples for the first 2 billion, 35 cents per 10 million samples for the next 250 billion, and 16 cents per 10 million samples for anything over 252 billion samples. That's an awful lot of samples. Mm, That's a lot of samples. That sure is. I love it when they decrease the price by 84%. That, to me, is their symbol that the the price was kept high because they were not yet ready to scale it. It's like their soft launch, and now this is their real launch. They, now they know what they're in for. They're ready to go, ready to scale, ready for customers to want it. And here they come. Now it's cheap. Yeah. Have you used Prometheus? Oh, have you used AMP, AMP even? Haven't used AMP. Just we we use Prometheus a lot, except we've just done homegrown, home rolled for uh, EKS or Kubernetes clusters. But who wants to do that? Who wants to set that stuff up and manage it? Nobody wants to do that. Not if I don't have to. I'd much rather just, you know, if, if the cost is right, have that managed for me and then I just fire my metrics off. And then really what I need to pay attention to is like, am I using using this service and getting the value at it per, and then I can adjust what I send to it. I also really like that they use samples and Prometheus ecosystems because it's not just like send everything in the day, you know, they're, they're very clear on, you don't have to send everything. It just sends the right message. I like it. Do you think people should consider pivoting from CloudWatch logs or CloudWatch metrics of Prometheus? I mean, the, the pricing just seems so much more effective. 
would I pivot off of it? Like, you know, when I use CloudWatch metrics, it's largely because of the the integration with the other Amazon services. You know, like CloudWatch logging is a different thing, but for metrics, you know, I don't I don't send a lot of metrics towards CloudWatch uh, specifically, largely because they're ridiculously expensive for custom metrics. Um, so, you know, that is a factor. But I, I also know if I don't know if I could really do what I wanted in Prometheus and and create the dashboards that I wanted either, like where I run into limitations. So it's Prometheus is built into a lot of these containerized apps and does a lot of really great things. And so it's one of those things you can take advantage of, you know, right off the bat. But I've never tried to do anything complicated with it. So maybe maybe I just need some learning. All right. Another cost saver from Amazon this year. They must be uh, running low on their quota of... of uh price cuts you saw the earnings last week like <laughs> yeah. we've made all the money we're good <laughs> amazon vpc announces price change for vpc peering finally so starting may 1st this year 2021 all data transfers over a vpc peering connection that stays within the same ac is now free data transfer that continues to cross the ac boundary will continue to be charged at the standard in region transfer rate we feel this is a huge unnecessary tax on the multi-account strategies where you would uh, pay for basically traffic within the same AC just because you're crossing a different uh, account boundary. So the, the caveat, of course, to this is that US East 1A in one account is not necessarily the same as US East 1A in another account, as Amazon sort of obfuscate the availability zones to stop everyone gravitating towards the more reliable uh, AZs. And so you actually have to enable Amazon Resource Access Manager so you can actually map those customer-facing AZ names to the underlying zone IDs, which is a little bit of a chore. I'm disappointed that the, the, the obstacle's still there, but great for cost savings. I was wondering how they did that. I was curious when they when I read the announcement, like I've known about that little caveat with the availability zones for a little while, because what are these data transfer charges? Which is, I think, how everyone learns that. Uh, it is weird that they would make people jump through those hoops rather than sort of make it a little bit more consistent or a little easier to consume. Yeah, you'd think that maybe per org now, now we have organizations that they could at least guarantee that the availability zone names are the same uh, and consistent across all of the accounts that belong to the organization. And maybe they only apply that obfuscation between different organizations or between different customers. I mean, it's just it's just one extra step now that we have to go through to ensure that we deploy the right underlying AZs. Yeah. It's, it's probably difficult to do with things like Terraform. Oh, for sure. You also run into the situations all the time where you know accounts are moving from one org to another. Companies are getting acquired, lots of different change resellers if you're using a reseller and they're using their payer accounts. I think it would be really tough. It should have either been A equals A and B equals B or yeah, you just can't trust it at all. And that's where we're at, can't trust it at all. But that's okay. I mean, it's not, for people who are doing the hard work of automating this stuff with multiple account strategies, I think they're also probably savvy enough to get that one extra step involved to make sure they're, they're in the AZ that they think they're in. You know, what they should do is just, you know, get rid of the ridiculous data transfer fees altogether. And then this isn't that much of a concern and I can ignore it. Yeah, that would be nice. Then everybody's, yeah, everyone's uh, Elasticsearch and Redis clusters are uh, going back and forth across three AZs all the time. And It's effectively two cents a gig between AZs, right? Because you, you pay mm-hmm. the cent to send it and the cent to receive it as well. So what's, I mean, how much is S3 per gig to store data in, like? Four cents a gig per month, somewhere around there. Less, it's almost, less than three, I think. It's, yeah, it's yeah. almost cheaper to ship it to S3 with a, with a with a gateway endpoint and then just suck it down again from S3 in the other AZ. <laughs> oh my God, that's funny. Yeah. That is hilarious. Yeah. There we go. Pro-life hacks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
little bit more latency, but yeah, build a whole network stack based based on S three. <laughs> oh, <laughs> keep taking the pills, John. All right, AWS Organizations has launched a new console experience. They now offer a, a uh, an experience that provides you with more a more intuitive way to manage your multi account <laughs> environment on AWS. <laughs> You can more easily navigate through the uh, organizational unit hierarchy and perform account management tasks in a streamlined way. The new interface gives you easy access to documentation, product information, and resources to assist you in managing your multi-account environment. Uh, Note from Justin, anything was better than those huge tiles from the past, but the tree is borderline better. Organizations is one of those features that I waited like years for the announce. It became... We were waiting so long, it became a joke of how they were going to, you know, offer multi-account um, before it had a name. It was like the the feature that was never going to come. And it was, we were so excited when they announced it until you saw the dashboard. And it's just so brutal. Like, it's completely inconsistent with the rest of the services, which is not all that unique. But it's just very difficult to use. And it doesn't save state very, you know, gracefully. And so your session resets and all I've had nothing but issues with it. And so I don't really interface with the UI anymore. I just gave up and just use uh, API and CLIs. And so this is, I, I haven't tried it yet, but I'm, it, it has to be better. Incremental improvement. Incremental. This is like three years later. <laughs> I know. I, I logged in to take a look at it. I'm like, oh, I'll take a look at that. And I'm like, I'm like, it looks the exact same as last time. And then I realized it's because this came out like a week ago and I've already been in there. I'm like, oh, I think I'm already <laughs> using the new one. And I then I saw the wish- link. Use customer. the old console. <laughs> like, I'm not going to click on that. That sounds like a bad idea. Which customer hated that UI so bad that they quit their job, managed to get a job at Amazon on that team just so they could fix this problem? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I don't know, but I'll buy them a beer. I always kind of liken the organization's rollout to uh, like the sequel to The Matrix or the last episode of Lost where the buildup was so, so amazing. Like, how are they going to finish the story? How is it going to happen? And then what an anticlimax. Yeah. <laughs> With a really crummy UI. Yeah. <laughs> Introducing IAM access control for Apache Kafka on Amazon MSK. The IAM access control is offered at no additional cost and simplifies cluster authentication and Apache Kafka API authorization using IAM roles or user policies to control access. By using IAM access control, customers no longer need to build and run one-off access management systems to control client authentication and authorization. Yeah, it's as easy as enabling IAM access control. Define the IAM policies for users or roles to control the identities that may access an MSK cluster and control the actions these clients can take on Apache Kafka's APIs. Uh, using the Apache 2.0 AWS MSK IAM auth library, it can infer and send IAM credentials to MSK using SIG v4 signed requests. I think my added bonus to, to this IAM access control now is that we, we get CloudTrail logging, the kind of actions that could be devastating, you know, topic creation, deletion, changing partitions, topic configuration, or other kind of modifications which otherwise would have been um, missed from most CloudTrail logs. Yeah. So I was wrong earlier when we were reviewing the show. This does actually replace a lot of those, the client certificates that they use for, you know, mutual authentication between things. So this is actually pretty sweet because, you know, a lot of customers aren't really used to sort of handling that certificate-based identity. The, you know, the CA that can handle that, you know, if you have a PKI infrastructure, you need to sign it that way so you can manage them a little simpler. It's, you know, it's it's above the heads of, you know, some teams I know. Like this is really a great replacement that makes, you know, uh, why you'd use a managed service over the open source, a real story. Resolve IT incidents faster with Incident Manager, a new capability of AWS Systems Manager 
Pager duty quake on your boots as AWS has arrived or maybe not, says Ian McKay. Hmm. Many customers have asked AWS for helping with notifying engineers of incidents and issues, and so they are happy to announce Incident Manager, a new capability of AWS Systems Manager uh, that helps you prepare and respond efficiently to app or infrastructure incidents. AWS believes preparation is key for incident management, including having the following defined contacts, escalation plans, and response plans. This allows you to approach an incident in a standardized way so that you can react as soon as they happen and resolve them quicker. Response plans can be triggered automatically by an Amazon CloudWatch alarm or an Amazon EventBridge event notification of your choice, or it can be launched manually. But if you can launch it manually, then why didn't they just call the engineer in the first place? That's mm. beside the point. <laughs> Details. <laughs> when the response plan is initiated, contacts are paged, and a new dashboard is automatically put in place in the Incident Manager console. The dashboard is the point of reference for all things involved in the incident, including the overview of incidents so responders have a quick and accurate summary of the situation, any CloudWatch metrics and alarm graphs related to the incident, a timeline of the incident that lists all the events added by the incident manager, and the runbook included in the response plan, plus any contacts and a link to the chat channel, and a list of related systems manager ops items. After the incident's resolved, you can create a post-incident analysis using a built-in template, uh, or one that you can create yourself, and the analysis helps you understand the root cause at least that's the, that's the story of the incident and what could have been done better or faster to resolve it. Neat. I, you know, I'm sure there's going to be some uh, quick comparisons and the service is going to fall a little short of the existing service offerings out there like PagerDuty. But you see this, you see this uh, trend with Amazon, like they release an MVP that has 1% of the features of the industry leader at 10% the price, but then in a couple of years, it's like 80% the features at 10% the price. So if I was PagerDuty, even if they're not super worried about uh, the current features, I'd keep my eyes on this because you quickly see all of your customers wanting this super cheap solution. Mm-hmm. And easier to adopt. Like I'm not a big fan of the current solution at my day job. I'm already an AWS customer. I've already got a PO for that. It's, it's already an approved vendor. Yeah, just stand up this service for my team, you know, and I could probably interconnect the existing system to my, to this, and you know, like that kind of leverage is what Amazon has when they, when they uh, roll out these features. Like it doesn't even, you know, like I, I think they do service their customers, but it, you know, you're right, one percent is probably good enough to get pretty heavy adoption and a large user base of testers to find all the flaws and make lots of improvement requests. Yeah, so it, it's it's a pretty smart model. Um, I mean, I know I'll probably end up using this just because of I'm not a pager duty customer, um, and I hear nothing but good things. But uh, I also know it's expensive. Yeah, and if you're using a single vendor, like like all in on a single cloud provider, uh, there's huge benefits in the future for Amazon to be able to integrate all their services. So that I mean, that's where you want to do your incident management is on the platform that you're managing. Unless yeah. I guess S3 is down, and then you can't get to Incident Manager. Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah. the concern. Is that the, <laughs> the region you deploy this in, and it's only a single region right now, is the region that goes down, and you don't get the CloudWatch alerts, you don't get paged, and you can't resolve the issue. Yeah, <laughs> I do think that might be why it's part of Systems Manager. Although I, you know, I, I can't really justify it, but I see a lot of the trends of things that are being rolled into Systems Manager not being tied to specific orgs. Um, you can already create dashboards sourced from CloudWatch metrics and systems manager that are across multiple regions. You can you can fire all of your 
you know, sort of ops management towards a central central account to be managed in one systems manager account in all regions. And so I wonder if there's some other secret sauce here that allows, you know, some on the back end more tie-ins and not that break down sort of that region affinity wall. I didn't see much in the way of integration with organizations or cross-account access. I mean, I guess we've got cross-account um CloudWatch dashboards, which which may help tie into this, but even things like uh, cross-account access to opening Amazon support tickets is 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 kind of lacking still right now in organizations. It probably doesn't support tagging or cloud formation either. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> probably not, but I, I, I like, I mean, just think of the analytics that starts to come out of this now. You can start to plot response times. You can start to plot what type of remediations take, take time and where should you focus your efforts in improving um, you know, your, your SRE uh, responses and the run books and things, potentially even recording, uh, transcribing Zoom calls or, or chat things so that you could have a, a good record of start to end for the for the entire instant response, which is always always good for. Yeah, this is only a good thing. It's it's tight integration with Amazon. Uh, the rest of Amazon services is only just going to make extending this much easier. Um, you know, I would love to do, you know, some more sophisticated things based on an alert. You know, there's Problem management's a hard gig. AWS local zones are now open in Boston, Miami, and Houston. Uh, Amazon's continuing the Oracle model of racks in random people's garages with a launch of new local zones in several cities. This is part of the plan announced last December to launch 15 local zones this year, joining the existing one uh, in LA. Uh, the parent zones for Boston, Miami, and Houston is US East 1, which kind of makes sense for Boston and Miami, but uh, Houston would definitely be closer to Ohio, so not quite sure about that. The new local zones allow you to create VPCs, launch EC2 instances, create SSD EBS volumes, and get uh, set up with EKS or ECS clusters. It supports a small subset of instance types, T3X large, C5D 2X large, G4DN 2X large, and R5D 2X large. Uh, the 12 additional local zones, Atlanta, Chicago, Dallas, Denver, Kansas City, Vegas, Minneapolis, New York, Philadelphia, Phoenix, Portland, and Seattle. Yeah, this is the, the 12 additional ones that they are going to open throughout the remainder of 2021. Are, and this is the first time they've sort of given the whole list, which is what you just said. So it's, it's a strange part of the announcement where we're getting the full sort of data after the initial announcement when they're announcing other local zones. I'll do, I'll do a personal reporting in front of the Kansas City local zone next time I'm in town. I wonder if uh, Houston is really closer to US East 1 or US East 2 as the fiber pass run. And I bet you that's why. Like when I, I bet you this way on the fiber run along the coast is probably quicker than whatever it would have to do to go to Ohio. Because I don't see a whole lot of direct links between Texas and Ohio. They could be like Google and just lay their own fiber across thousands of miles of uh, mm -hmm. land and ocean. Although, admittedly, doing it in the ocean is probably easier than digging it across the land. Yeah. The real final story for AWS this week is uh, create Microsoft SQL Server instances of Amazon RDS on AWS Outposts. You can now deploy MS SQL on Outposts as a new database engine in addition to the existing MySQL and Postgres, which was made available last year. This allows you to run low latency workloads that need to be running close proximity to your on-premise data and applications. All operations that are currently supported for MySQL and Postgres on RDS on Outposts can be performed with RDS for SQL Server on Outposts. And unlike RDS or VMware, this does appear to include the SQL license cost. Wow. I think that more people who need Outposts are using MS SQL than MySQL or Postgres. I bet this is going to be a 
a big hooray for people interested in outposts. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I imagine that Postgres and MySQL were easier to implement, so they started with those, but yep. almost every customer probably wanted SQL. Hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. Moving on to GCP. Customers handle up to 28% more concurrent chats with Agent Assist for Chat. For a while now, Google has been working on uh, contract center AI, which brings Google's innovation in conversational AI to solve the most challenging customer service needs while lowering operational costs and hopefully frustration of their end users. <laughs> More than a thousand customers have deployed contact center AI and are steadily turning it on to power their production contact centers. To further enhance CC AI, Google is announcing Agent Assist for Chat now in public preview. Agent Assist provides your human agents with continuous support during their calls and now chats by identifying the customer's intent and providing them with real-time recommendations such as articles and frequently asked questions, as well as responses to customer messages uh, to more effectively, meaning quickly, resolve the conversations. Customers using Agent Assist for chat have been able to manage 28% more conversations concurrently while also driving up customer satisfaction by 10% and 15% faster response to chats, reducing chat abandonment rates and solving more customer issues. Uh, Some of the key components to Agent Assist is a smart reply to provide response suggestions to agents so they can quickly and appropriately respond to customer messages. Hopefully that's better than my predictive uh, text responses, which are often highly inappropriate. (laughs) Um, And Knowledge Assist, (laughs) unlocking the power of your knowledge base to provide articles and frequently asked questions suggestions to agents in real time as the conversation progresses. Agent Assist has been a beneficial aid to agents and customers alike. It gives us the power to flex our contact center staff uh, in hours, not weeks, said Eugene Neal, Director of CX Engineering and Business IT at Love Holidays. All I can think of with the multi uh, uh, concurrent conversations is picturing those online poker players who have like 50 tables up on their screen at one time and they're all popping up as if they're ch- they have to hit stare fold. That sounds, that sounds stressful. My imagination goes much more Black Mirror scenarios, like just the thinking about being a support agent with multiple conversations going on. And then they're also just firing off like facts and articles and help things like just the bombardment of noise gives me anxiety sitting here. Like I, I, I'm thank you. All call center agents is all I can say. Yeah, Sweet. really. I know. <laughs> Don't want to have to do that. Yeah. Changes the game, doesn't it? We used to be measured on, you know, how many minutes of calls we want per hour, but now it's now the expectation is that you're actually handling, you know, three or four hours worth of calls yeah. per hour. <laughs> per hour, yeah, yeah. seriously. Well, a handy new Google Cloud, AWS, and Azure product map is available from Google, perhaps slightly biased. But if you ever were confused about what products map to AWS or Azure services from GCP, uh, they have you back with this updated comparison chart. Clearly shows the GCP service and what the competitive services are on AWS and Azure, if there is one. There's no services at all in that chart that the other 
service providers have that Google does not. So if that's what you're looking for, you're going to have to look somewhere else. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, you know, well, we have Anthos uh, for multi-cloud. Does AWS have Anthos multi-cloud? No, they do not. Does AWS have Anthos for AWS? No, they do not. <laughs> and we own that trademark, and we'd sue the pants off of them if they ever did. But uh, <laughs> can you manage containers across multi-cloud? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can do that. <laughs> find a lot of these these uh, press releases in the past couple of years from Google have been very oracle-y and very uh, disingenuous, maybe. Yeah, I, I mean, it's... I think it's good to be the number three in the space because you can, you can put everything you do is punching up. You know, I think that both AWS and Azure have to be a little bit more careful of that, you know, of being sort of just openly hostile to their, their competitors. Exactly. Uh, but you know, it is sort of, I, I do, I like Google. And so like, I feel like this sort of like is dis it does them a disservice to me. Like, I think they can compete in their own right. I don't need this propaganda. Uh, last story from GCP this week, uh, browse and query cloud spanner databases from Visual Studio Code. In the continuous effort to bring the data to where your developers are, the SQL Tools extension for VS Code now lets you browse and query cloud spanner. Uh, the SQL Tools extension works with a variety of SQL drivers and allows developers to manage database connections, execute and generate queries and more from within VS Code easily. The Cloud SDK, which allows you to emulate a Spanner for local development, also integrates with the same tool. Yeah, barring the use in production, uh, I could see this being so welcome by developers. Mm -hmm. but no production. Access. No production. Yes. Please, please do not monkey with your Cloud Spanner fraud databases. <laughs> All right, moving on to Azure. Uh, fluent new look for the Azure icon. Azure has been busy oh. releasing new logos. Uh, Azure is your ally in the cloud. Their mission is to deliver thoughtfully designed products and services that equip you to solve challenges and invent, and invent what's next. Their ability to meet your businesses and innovation needs is in part due to their growth, their growth mindset, which extends from front-end user experiences to small details like graphics and icons. So the most important detail is, of course, the Azure A icon, which will be rolled out in product experiences and across related sites in the coming weeks. The new Azure icon represents the unity of Azure within the larger Microsoft family of product icons. Uh, it's part of the MS Fluent design system, carefully crafted, handcrafted, to produce icons that look familiar to what customers know and love while presenting the agile future of their businesses. <laughs> yeah. Somebody wanted a tap. Somebody wanted a pat on the back. Seriously. <laughs> like we spent all of our budget hiring this firm to refresh our brand. They gave us this blurb on, to tell us how cool it is. So we better get our money's worth. Looks kind of like an A to me. You know, that's the best part of every kind of icon update. Like I'm, I'm a branding guy. Like I, you know, I brand things that don't need branding. Um, and I give things taglines. And, and so like, I'm big on it. I think it sends a lot of message. It helps in communication. I find that when someone refreshes their icon and they just tweak it a little bit and then they go on this huge PR scheme to justify the changes and how awesome it is. Like, I just find it the funniest thing ever. I just don't get it. They've spent millions of dollars on this redesign, countless man hours refreshing it in every service that they have and, and the PR to follow it all up. And, you know, like, why? Looks like it looks like the same logo. Market the marketing. <laughs> And I think it looks kind of like a, a, a Google icon, honestly. I mean, it kind of just looks like, yeah, it kind of looks like a Google version of their old icon. Like it doesn't, it's not drastically different. And the other icons that I've seen, which admittedly aren't that many, um, don't look all that different to me either. It kind of reminds me of a 3D um, version of the Ansible A. Oh, yeah. 
I, I was thinking it reminded me of remember when um, Microsoft Office suites uh, switched from the regular toolbar to the ribbon. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's it's the Azure ribbon. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's probably the same firm. <laughs> That's great. The hey, we had great success with it the last time. Let's try it again. <laughs> uh, now generally available, multiple features for Azure VPN gateway. Uh, there's been several new features for all your VPN gateway needs. Multiple authentication types for point-to-site VPNs, enabling multiple authentication types on a single gateway for open VPN tone types. Uh, Azure AD, certificate base, and radius can all be enabled on a single gateway now. Uh, also, BGP diagnostics to allow you to see BGP session status, route advertisements, and routes learned by the gateway. And VPN packet capture in Azure portal, because capturing encrypted traffic is super helpful. <laughs> VPN connection management also allows you to reset an individual connection instead of resetting the whole gateway. You can also set the Ike mode of the gateway to responder only, initiator only, or both, and view the security associations of connections. I mean, we make jokes, about, you know, but these are really great features in a VPN managed service. Um, even the, the packet capture, like, yeah, you can't inspect the payloads, but I don't know how many times I've had to do a packet capture just to prove that traffic is traversing a tunnel and not being answered by something on the far side. <laughs> Yeah. So that allows you to do that. And so it is actually really handy to do. Or simply that you're just not not receiving the uh, the request from, from your client's <laughs> VPN or the other end of the VPN tunnel. Yeah. Like, were, weren't we doing this at your uh, day job, like in the very beginning? Oh, first yeah. Time we started? That horrible open swan setup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. Uh, uh, oh yeah! Oh, those were the. That's a blasphemy. I'm sure we're going to pause to have a have a swig of our appropriate drinks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Open Swan. Yeah, you're still Open Swan. I remember the Open Swan thing because I I opened a, a ticket with Amazon to say actually your architectural diagram for how Open Swan is supposed to work is completely dysfunctional. The the, <laughs> the return path for the data didn't flow the way it was meant to, and it uh, you know security groups didn't work because the the, uh, the the state, the connection state, just didn't exist anymore. So you just get random lost packets if they came back through a different path. <laughs> Terrible. And the documentation's still there. Really? So, yeah, the documentation That's just never great. never dies. Wow. That's awesome. We should set up an AWS documentation graveyard site to show yeah. them to get this stuff taken down. Yeah. <laughs> Generally available, enable Azure Site Recovery while creating Azure Virtual Machines. Uh, you can now enable Azure Site Recovery while creating the Azure Virtual Machines. Previously, there was no way to do this at the creation of a VM. You had to follow through and execute a different workflow to protect the VM from a regional or zonal outage after the VM was up and running, uh, meaning chances are it never happened. So Azure Site Recovery will be one of the many VM management options you can configure now, including monitoring, identity, and backup. Yeah, I guess I get a little bit confused, and maybe it's because I don't use Azure, but you know, some of these things feel um, clunky and UI-based. You know, it feels like this is a very VMware sort of management of creating a VM and setting its DR site. And I could be wrong. Maybe it's just setting up backups and by other names than I'm used to. And I'm, you know, getting old man, so I'm standing in my front yard shaking my fist at a cloud. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like if you're not architecting for, for multi-region um, deployments anyway, that having something magically just take copies of your VMs and spin them up in a different region and hoping that it's going to work in a, you know, a different set of networking environments, uh, you know, are your directory services available? Or do they have, you know, is DNS going to get updated magically? How's all this stuff going to happen to make this actually be functional when uh, when push comes to shove and you, and you need to fail over? I'd love to hear people's stories on this. Fortunately, DR is not enacted a whole lot. So failing over from one region to the next is a rare occurrence. I'm 
really glad. I hope that never changes. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, you know, I, I, more and more people are doing active, active architectures. And I think that's really the, the path forward here. But in a lot of cases, it's just financially, it doesn't make sense. It's the, the promise of, of automatic DR is always a lot more difficult once you're in the details. Especially when you consider that, you know, if California falls into the ocean, then your people are also going to fall into the ocean. <laughs> right. Yeah. Who's going to do the job? So I've plotted my house by the fault lines um, specifically for where I think the most likely falling in the ocean point is so that I have beachfront property. Nice. I'm exactly in the middle between between uh, two faults where I'm here in East Bay. And I'm not sure if that's a good thing or, or a bad thing. <laughs> like, I'm equally likely to be affected by both now, but it's it's interesting. You you, you buy a house out here and you, you read all the uh, the geological survey disclaimers and things. And ah, so the ground underneath people liquefy and my house will fall down. Awesome. Why why yeah. even bother with insurance at this point? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, finally, in our low-code development series, you can modernize your IoT future with Azure and Microsoft Power Platform. The next installment of the low-code development series we mentioned uh, last month has dropped, and it's on the riveting topic of IoT and Microsoft Power Platform. And that's all we can say about this. A swing and a miss on the blog series so far. We hope the next one's interesting. I just love the branding for these these low-code things, like Microsoft Power. Yeah. You know, like citizen developers using Microsoft Power. Oh, oh, they're I see who they're selling to. It just it just dawned on me right now. I get it. I don't I still don't get it. Hmm? Yeah, it's it's not to you. It's Yeah, it's not to me. Well, how about some lightning round? That sounds good. Oh yeah. Let's do it. All right, Justin added some comments that he wants read. And so I'm going to add Justin whenever he says my or I or whatever, just to make sure you know it's not me saying these things just in case they would affect my non-disparagement clauses with my my uh, partners. So these are all Justin's words, not mine. Does any one of us have a good Justin impression? That'd be pretty sweet. <laughs> I was just thinking of that. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God. He, I can't imagine that ending with Justin liking me anymore. No, so, no, it wouldn't. Yeah. It wouldn't be a flattering thing. Right. Impressions. Yeah. So, okay, let's start with Amazon QuickSight launches threshold alerts. My expectation threshold for QuickSites is awfully low. Am I supposed to get an alert for that? Uh, it's too bad Justin didn't get to go first on this one. <laughs> Justin's threshold for QuickSite continues to get lowered. Amazon DevOps Guru now generally available with additional capabilities. They come with a big old white cane now. <laughs> what, what was that? <laughs> yeah. What capabilities do you want in a Guru? I don't know. I think the DevOps guru just sits around thinking an awful lot. Oh, that's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> they really have automated me out of a job. Well, Justin prefers the shaman. Excellent. Amazon Pinpoint announces uh, journey pause and resume. I'm with Justin on this one. We're all still on a journey to understand what Pinpoint is. Yes. I don't even have to say it. It's perfect. Uh, it's your backup. Uh, operational backup for Azure Blobs is now generally available. Operational backup, contrary to what they had before, which was the non-functional complicated backup? <laughs> Non-operational backup. And we're now looking to be, we're looking at append blob support in Azure Data Lake storage is now generally available. Append blob just sounds like 
two gelatinous things sort of just hitting each other and combining to me, which is not really something. But I guess it would be something that would happen in a data lake. So. Append the blob. Append to the blob. That's kind of cool, actually. I, I wish once I wish S3 did a similar thing, actually, where, where you've got objects and you can make them bigger after the fact. There should be no reason. They, they, they oh, is that support, what this is? Yeah, like if you if you support multi-part uploads, then I guess at some point it becomes visible and you can't add to it anymore, but there should be no reason why you can't continue to add data. If I could take many objects and combine them into single objects, I absolutely would. Yeah. Amazon SageMaker automatic model tuning now supports up to 10 times faster tuning and enables exploring up to 20 times more models. I don't think I know any data scientists that can work 20x times faster, but okay, sure. Uh, Justin wonders if you think SageMaker tuned itself to improve the tuning. It's turtles all the way down. Because oh, this would be the first light round where you award negative points. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really. <laughs> I do like the idea of taking points away from Justin while he's not here. <laughs> it was on CloudWatch. Synthetics supports cron expression for scheduling. <laughs> I think the only way I'm going to understand what, what fields are in cron is if they keep adding this functionality. So I'm, I'm for this, just so that I know what that third asterisk actually does. I was going to go a similar place. I'm like, it, it's been 30 years and I still have to Google it every single time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is really true. It's 2021 and we still can't come up with anything better than cron. Somebody put it on their calendars to improve it in the future. Mm-hmm. Yes. They just screwed up there. <laughs> but they screwed up the cron. Hasn't happened yet. Amazon Elasticsearch service now offers AWS Graviton 2 instances. Still not enough savings to justify the pain, says Justin. All right. I get it. Sorry, I was I was like, pain of Graviton, the, the comment threw me. And so now ruined my comedic timing, which we all know is, you know, a finely tuned machine. Cannot be interrupted. All jokes aside, I can't wait to use this. Something to make Elasticsearch cheaper. Yeah, really. I mean, it's like 20% cheaper, right? Pretty much. Uh Uh Amazon Athena drivers now support Azure AD and Pink Federate authentication. Just the nightmare of of thinking, like just using Athena by itself is sort of a complicated thing and, and not exactly straightforward for plugging in, you know, like a SQL data store and then having to deal with AD authentication on top of that. Oh, sweet God, I pity that poor person. Making it auth with Azure will not make Justin any happier using it. And I have loss for the service. Hey, what they, what, <laughs> why would they need Pink Federate authentication for Athena? Are they, are they thinking uh, like a Snowflake replacement here with external customers? You know, yeah, that's a very good, good question. question. Huh. That's the only thing it could be. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd just be glad when Snowflake don't have enough money that they can continue to advertise on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> you get the you get those too, huh? Yeah. Okay. I'm carving my own path now for for, for winning the lightning round by, by yeah. complaining about something yeah. that's not even in the lightning round. <laughs> Changing the game. Changing the game. Migration evaluator announces a faster way to project AWS costs, cloud costs with quick insights. This gonna be expensive. This, I, I seriously, yeah. how much money does it take? I could have done this. CFOs rejoice as now they can kill projects before they start, says Justin. I would love to see what the actual outcomes of this are, like real predictions versus reality. I cannot imagine it comes close to being an accurate representation. 
No, because it's when you have what the the workload that you're going to migrate isn't an accurate representation of that workload. It never is because you can't. The languages are too different. VM of this size and this environment does these many things. Like it's it's not apples to apples. It never is. All these predictions are based on the ideal final endpoint. Oh yes, we'll be able to scale these down. Oh yes, we can get away with with this. Oh yes, that can be serverless. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, the reality Double is may, maybe maybe three years down the path and and a bunch of blood, sweat, tears. Those that that that's all maybe close. The transition of your entire SRE staff. Your your team will never spin up something you don't need and forget about it and leave it running for three years. Yeah. <laughs> I still find stuff uh, with Justin's name on it. Now he's not here. I can throw him under a bus. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been meaning to mention that to you, Ryan. I was I was checking out our sandbox earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, someone's asleep at the wheel of cleaning up the sandbox, and that would oh, be me. It's only it's only T two nanos or something, but still, you know, that one point seven cents an hour does rack up eventually. That's <laughs> up. And finally, Amazon EKS managed node groups add support for Kubernetes node. Taints. I'm just glad Justin said it before I did. Justin said, ha, ha, ha. You said taint. <laughs> yeah. And I am chuckling like the 12-year-old that I am because I haven't matured a day in a very long time. <laughs> all right. That was spectacular. Let me tell you, we didn't miss Justin at all in that round. <laughs> you know I like to give points for meaningless reasons, but one of the meaningless reasons I like to give points for are people doing things a first time ever, a first Oh. And this is the first time we've ever had someone blatantly steal somebody else's jokes out of the lightning round because it's the first time anyone's <laughs> ever stuck them in the show notes. So, uh, Ryan, you get this one for stealing Justin's jokes. <laughs> you know, the funny thing about that is it was completely unintentional, too. I did not read that until after. I'm like, oh, whoops. That is beautiful. Yeah. There's no way I was giving it to Justin anyway. He can't just put his notes in here and expect to win lightning round when he didn't oh, yeah. show up. No, no. way. So after litigation, you're going to have to share the point like 50% to you and 50% to Justin or... Uh... No. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll just take you out and then I just take it away from everybody. Just like Jedi. Be responsible with your lightning round point. Yeah. All right. I gave Ryan his point. Thank you. And we're at seven, seven to seven to four. Justin, Jonathan tied at seven. Ryan close behind at four. So we got a... Nobody has been mathematically eliminated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is I'm wonderful. Just, I'm hanging in there. I gotta find yes. some way of spending these points. Like, I mean, yeah. I'm never gonna win by the end of the year. So, what can I spend these points on? Can I can I trade it for some kind of favor, or you know, what, what can I get? What can I get with these points? You should. You know what you should do? Maybe um, do a uh, an NFT for your points. <laughs> Very good. I like it. All right, uh, things coming up. Announcing Google Cloud Summit 2021. Are we announcing that? Uh, we're not because they say they're going to frequently update it and then they never update yeah, it. So we just yeah. announced that that they haven't updated it yet every single, every week. So uh, Save the date, AWS Containers events in May. Um, AWS Container Day at DockerCon is May 26th, mm-hmm. focusing mostly on ECS and the AWS Online Summits. I mean, most of those are t- either past or today. Um, well, see, oh, well, so not to our listeners, yeah. All right, so we got nothing coming up. <laughs> yeah, so there is nothing going on. Pretend yep. you heard nothing. We'll yeah, just, there, is, there is nothing. Yeah, we don't care about build. We don't care about cloud next because yeah, it'll happen. Just whether it's virtual or not. All right, everybody, it's been an enlightening and entertaining show. Would you call it humbling? Are you, are you going to take Justin's <laughs> Justin's gig? Do we need to send him a, a, a sternly worded letter? If, if I was to take his gig, I'd actually write the show notes myself. 
<laughs> I don't know how he does he it. He did like, sort of set us up where we had to record. Like, we literally had no excuse. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how he does it. Like, does he just mumble through the things that he writes so that nobody actually knows what he says? Or? Oh, no, he, he changes it on the fly. It's it's amazing to watch. Like, it's yeah. it's completely fascinating to watch. Uh, watch not only him write the show notes, um, but also just to see how his the, how, the way he reads it. He does it in a way that feels very seamless if you're listening and not reading along to what he's right, what he has in front of him. It's impressive. I couldn't do it. Apparently, nor can I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not at least with his thoughts. <laughs> All right, guys. I'll see you next week. Awesome. See ya. Bye, everybody. And that is The Week in Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel. Go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions. Thank you.